0: Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Gracious God, we are thankful that we woke up this morning. and We are thankful that we can be here and worship together, but also to hear a word from you. So as we read through scripture and as we reflect on this Advent season, on what it means to wait, as we explore who you were in the Old Testament, we pray that those images and those realities would become a reality for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to read to you from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7. If I remember correctly, the book of Revelation, the final book in our Bible, has somewhere around, I think it's 28 hymns throughout the entire book. The book of Revelation is really a book of praise. It's a book of hope. It's a book of expectation. And one of the first hymns that we see is this. And it says, Look, He, Christ, is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail in in happiness, not uh, not in fear. So it is to be. Amen. When we look at the book of Revelation, it is a reminder that God is coming, that Christ is coming again, and he will renew all things. The very next verse... Is what is kind of guiding our understanding of Advent this season. And God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, the God who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. This morning, I want us to take a look at the God who was. But in order for us to look at the God who was, we have to go back to the beginning of the story. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And here's how the story begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before there were trees, flowers, and plants, before there were oceans, rivers, and lakes, before there were dogs, birds, and giraffes, there was God. Before anything existed, before reality as we knew it came into being, God simply existed. Now, I know the questions that come to mind is, well, and I just had a conversation a few weeks ago about this. Well, who created God? Where did God come from? Did God have a father? Something can't just exist out of nowhere. And this baffles us because as human beings, we want answers to this. As human beings, everything in our life has a beginning and an end. We have a beginning and we have an end. So when it comes to thinking about a God who simply was, it baffles our finite, limited understanding of how reality works. Perhaps God only allows us a glimpse into his reality. The Bible says that we cannot look at the face of God and live. I think that the understanding that the ancient rabbis would have about this is that if we the fullness of God, the whole reality of God, it would be too much for us to handle. So let me give you an illustration. When we were kids growing up, what was the, not the first thing, but what is one of those lessons that when we were really young we were told never to do? Don't look at the, or you will go blind. And what did every one of us do? We all, and you, some of you as adults still look at the sun to see if it's true. But the sun is just so powerful, it's so bright that we cannot really fully look at the sun directly. We only can get a glimpse of it. We can only kind of look to the side of it and kind of see it out of the peripherals of our eyes. But to look at the sun directly, it's too much for us to handle. And I think that's a great analogy for what it's like when we get a glimpse of who God is. You know, we have the Bible, and this is only a glimpse into the character and the being and the person of God because it is just too much for us to fully comprehend. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I went I watched a film, some of you may may have seen it or heard of it, but the film is called Interstellar. And it's basically about a man who goes into space, travels through a world, enters a fifth or fourth or some other dimension, parallel universe, and then somehow changes the course of Earth's history. Did I just spoil it? Sorry. I won't tell you how how it ends. Because that's not even the end. But it talks about these other realities, these other dimensions, and I think somehow God is able to function outside of our three-dimensional world. So let me give you an example. Three dimensions, we have height, width, and depth. Now, if we are to draw a stick figure, that's two-dimensional, right? On a piece of paper, it has height and it has width, but it doesn't have depth. We have a third dimension, which is depth. So the stick figure has no way of comprehending us as three-dimensional figures. What if, and this, I'm not, look, I'm just saying, what if God somehow is able to function outside of our three-dimensional world? When the Bible says that God is the Alpha and the Omega, what God is basically saying is that he can see the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Can you do that? No, how many of you, I mean, we can't even see what's going to happen tomorrow. We can plan for what's going to happen tomorrow, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. You can have a five-year plan laid out for you, but does it always work out the way we hoped it would? Hardly ever. Plans are good and great to give us goals, but when we have submitted ourselves to the will of God, we know that we can have a plan, but God may have a vastly different plan for us. And that's good news. You know why? Because if you can't even see what's going to happen tomorrow, how could you possibly plan out the rest of your life? Yet the God that we believe in is able to see the past, the present, and the future. And it is this God that is charting a course for your life. And you can either be submitted to the will of God, or you can resist as much as you want. But ultimately, I believe that God's way comes to fruition in our lives. So when God says I am the alpha and the omega, those are the letters in the Greek alphabet and in essence he is saying I am the beginning and I am the end. So we don't know how God was created. And we don't know how God came into existence, but here's what we do know. The you and I are sitting here on December 6th in the year 2014. And we got here somehow. So the one option that we have is we can believe what Scripture teaches us, that God is the divine creator who created us with a purpose and with a plan. He did so with every detail in mind thought out. Or the other alternative, now some of you might be saying like, Pastor, you've raised all sorts of hard questions that I wasn't even thinking of before this morning. Like who created God? How did a being just exist? And so some of you might say, well, that's just too difficult to to really accept. But the opposite or the other option you have, I think, is even more impossible that sometime millions of years ago, there, were, and I know this is overly simplified, I'm not, you know, I only have a few science classes under my belt. I dropped out of chemistry, so, you know, I might be wrong. <laughs> but there is a, millions of years ago, through some sort of accident or cosmic something, there was a blast out of something that already existed, which I don't know what that was. And millions of years later, in the year 2015, you and I just happened to be sitting in this building with no purpose, with no plan. Your life is aimless, and there's no purpose to life. And so we have these two realities where we can either believe that there was a loving, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful God who creates with a purpose and a plan, or you're here by accident. And I don't believe that any one of us was here by accident. Some of you may have been a surprise to your parents. I was. I prefer to, my therapist tells me to see it as I'm a surprise, not an accident. I'm just I don't have a therapist. So I'm, just I'm scrappy. I will make myself worthy. No shit. But nothing happens by accident. I truly believe that we are all here, and even though things in your life may not make sense, because like I get it, there are things that happen where we're just like, this is no way that this is God's will. But then three years later, you're just like, oh, thank you, God, that I didn't have it my way. There is a plan. There is a purpose. If you don't believe me, I want you to believe Scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, so before there was anything, God didn't just create the world and then say, oh, you know what, by the way, I'm going to create human beings. I believe that God says, "I am, and, and again, you can't comprehend this, okay? We're just, we, we just are, have, have to have satisfying answers for now, or satisfactory answers. But God, I believe, had in mind a group and a race of people, an entire civilization where God could pour out his love to us. Because let's be honest, there is nothing that we can really give back to God. There's barely anything that you can give to people in your life, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. There's very little we have to offer. So God doesn't make us just so that we can love him back. I believe that God had this abundance of love and of goodwill and of good pleasure. And he says, I am going to create a civilization of people so I can lavish them with gifts of love. Because I don't know how else any of this makes sense. And God creates before the foundations of the earth. He ha- I believe that he had you in mind. And again, don't expect to understand it because it's beyond our ability to understand or comprehend. But the Bible says that before the foundations of the world, God chose you to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined you for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the goodwill of God's pleasure. All God wants is for you to be a part of his family. And this is a God who is wealthy beyond all measure. Now, unfortunately, some of us would like to have, like, monetary wealth, but God says, you don't need that. In God's economy and in God's world, the Bible tells us that heaven will be lined with streets of gold. So in essence, gold will be so worthless, that's what we walk on. What we think is so valuable today will actually be the dirt of eternity, because gold and silver will have no value in the presence of a loving God. I don't know about you, but for me, I try to make God my everything. I try because I fail miserably always. Because I know that infinite value comes with having a relationship with God. You don't have to worry about tomorrow or five years from now or ten years from now. Because if you have submitted yourself to the will of God, God will lead you for the rest of your life. He will lead you over obstacles. He will lead you under obstacles. He will get you through as far as you need to go. Unfortunately, there is sin in this world. And we have a very bad habit of following our own will and our own desire. But for those of you who are younger in this walk of faith, if you just ask some of the people that are more advanced in years in this congregation, they will tell you that the only way to have peace and joy in this life is to follow the will of God. Because before the creations of the world... God had chosen you to be his son and his daughter. You have been born into the royal lineage of all royal lineages, the God who has the power to do all things and can do all things. God says, be a part of my family. If you're still not convinced, the book of Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. This is the people of Israel who were hopeless at the time. They thought that they were doomed to exile and death for the rest of their life. And God has this word for him, for them. For surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for harm. Plans to give you a future and hope. God always has a desire for you to live a life that is fulfilling and filled with love and filled with joy. So for those of you who feel like, I don't know what's happening five years from now, you don't have to know what's happening five years from now. All you have to know is that you must submit yourself to the will of God. Some of you might be saying, but that's too hard because I like to plan. I understand. I do too. And I had my life planned out, but then God had a different plan. So I still plan. I try. But I also know that if God is in control, and if I believe what the Bible tells us that everything will be taken care of, all I have to do is seek the kingdom of God first. I know that God will lead me down the paths that lead to the most fulfilling and abundant life. I've lived this, and this is why I can preach this. And so we kind of come back to this first part of the story, and God, God has this, I guess, conversation with himself. It says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it wasn't just good, it was very good. And there was evening And there was morning the sixth day. So when God creates, God doesn't leave any detail out. When God is in charge, he takes care of everything. And we can believe and we can have hope even during this time of waiting. I know some of you are experiencing some times in your life where you just can't wait for Jesus to come back because times are tough. But we don't get to decide when Jesus comes. We don't have a say. We don't have a hand. We don't get to determine any of that. But what you can do during this time of waiting is to submit yourself fully to God. Now, we still have time, so I'm going to keep going. Let's look at the next part of our sermon in Exodus. Remember, we're talking about the God who was, the God who created, the God who has a plan for you, who had a plan for the Israelites. He continues to have a plan for your life regardless of where you are, Exodus chapter 3 says this, But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall show the Israelites I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. So when God tells Moses, a shepherd at the time, to go back to the place that he had run away from, he says, when the people ask who sent you, tell them that I am sent you. And the Hebrew word is is really the word to be and there's no real good way to translate that which is why it's so confusing for us today to say that the name of God is I am who I am but in the Hebrew way of understanding it was existence sent you it's, it's the word to be and it's from that word that God says that's who I am the sum total of all existence is the one who sends you the one who created all things is the one who sends you now remember, for those of you who know the story, Moses was basically a shepherd who ran away after killing an Egyptian who was, who was threatening and, and hurting and hitting his fellow Hebrew slaves. And Moses gave all kinds of excuses to God, saying, well, who am I going to say sent me? And, and I can't speak in public, so how am I going to get this message across? And he just thought of every excuse in the book. And you see, what happens is we, we think that this story is actually about Moses. We have, as human beings, the audacity to think that this story is about Moses, and if it's about Moses, then it's about us, because then we start to kind of, we're like, well, we're Moses. But the truth is, is that this story is actually about God. The Bible is a story of God. Human beings are secondary in the story of Scripture. We just mess the story up. We just make the story better because we do foolish things. And God has to continually keep coming in and rescuing human beings from the bad decisions that we make. The story of God sending Moses into Egypt is a story that God says, I am the God of Abraham. And we know the story of Abraham. He asks Abraham to leave his hometown and go to a place that he doesn't know. He tells Abraham, sacrifice your son. And at the very last moment, God stops Abraham from sacrificing his son. This is a man who was successful and had an abundant life. Jacob had an abundant life. Isaac had an abundant life. So what God is saying is, I am the God who who has already done the impossible, and I am the one who will bring the Israelites out of slavery, out of the darkness of their history. Out of the darkest times, God says, I am the one who spoke light into existence. I am the one that created this world out of nothing. And I am the God that will lead the Israelites out of darkness and into freedom. So when God says, I am the God who was, what he is saying is, I am the God of the miracles of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is that same God that at this time of Advent, are reminded that he will be there for us again. It seems that in our lifetime, and I was one of the guys who, whenever there was someone that would say, well, praise God for this, this, and this, I, you know, I would say, well, that's, God didn't have a hand in that. God, that's not a miracle. I can, I can give you five reasons why that wasn't God. That was me before I was a pastor. <laughs> I would give every reason as to why I didn't believe that God was behind these miraculous things that people were experiencing but God and the Holy Spirit has worked through me to show me that God really is behind all things. Even when they don't make sense. And they may never make sense. And I know people will often say, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask God. But I don't think you're going to care once you get there. I think we'll just be glad we're there. <laughs> and we won't need to have answers for any of the reasons why things happened. And so I want to continue because the question really that comes up is, so what, Pastor? We already know the stories that you've told us. We already know that God is this great, amazing guy. We already know all that. So, so what? So I have four, four rapid-fire verses that I want to shoot off to you. Second Samuel says, It is God who arms me with strengths and makes my way perfect. So what is that the God who did this for Samuel, for David, for Solomon, for Abraham... Isaac, Moses, Noah, Elijah, Elisha, I mean, Adam, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Zechariah, I can't remember all the names of the Old Testament. You ever get down and you think, what is God going to do for me? Look at the stories of the Old Testament. None of those guys were perfect. A lot of those guys made really bad mistakes but they kept submitting to God and God kept working through them and he would redeem their situations. The guy that did the worst of all things, David, I mean, he had a guy killed because he wanted to be with his wife and the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And so we can remember that the God who arms me and gives me strength will make your way perfect as well. Isaiah says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, God, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I am the God who created you. Do you think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just forget you? Parents, when your kids are the very worst that they ever are on that one day where you're just like, I can't believe I gave birth to you, do you, do you forsake them? No, you still, on that day, you love them even more. And God says, until your old age and when your hairs are gray, I am he who will sustain you. I hung the universe where it is. I will sustain you. Isaiah also says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary They will walk and not be faint. The so what of this theology of the God who was is that this is still readily available for you today. And I want to end with this last verse. God tells Joshua, I hereby command you. Joshua was a young man. He had nothing really to show for. He had nothing on his resume except for being a sidekick to Moses. And God says, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as we kind of come into this time of Advent where we cannot wait for the Christ that is to come, remember that the Christ who is to come is only a reflection of the God who currently is, of the God who was. If you ever get down on your hope or on your faith, anybody, you open up the Old Testament and just start reading skip leviticus but just start reading from genesis and just keep going and just look at the stories of what god continually does and remember that this life and this world isn't even about you it is about a god who made all things and a god who will show himself to be a loving caring compassionate and just god at the end it is god who's on trial not you It is God who will prove to the world that he was loving all along and he had a plan all along and we were just secondary characters in a story about the God who loves and cares. The story is not about you. It is about the God who will work through you and in you so that God's will will be done. So even though something doesn't make sense to you, even though it doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't mean it's not from God. Allow God to do his work. And I will close, and I really will close with this. I'll land the plane. Is this? <laughs> There's a story at the end in the book of Acts, and people were complaining about these religious men, right? These two of the disciples were preaching Jesus and preaching Jesus. And this wise old rabbi Gamaliel says this If what they are doing and preaching and saying is from God, there is nothing you can do. God's will will be done. There's nothing we can do. But if it's not, it will fizzle away. So in your life, I proclaim and I invite you and I encourage you to live boldly because if what you're doing is the will of God, it will still be done. And if it's not, it'll just kind of fade away. Will you pray with me? Heavenly God, as we wait for you, we ask that you remind us that you are not a God who is coming, but a God who is already here, and the future will only be when you kind of come in a very full and real and more tangible way. So we pray that you keep our hope high and our faith strong as we wait for the day when Christ will return. But we also pray that until that day, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in powerful ways in our lives so that we would give witness, honor, and glory to you, that more people would come to know you.